Hi-ho, and welcome once again to A Feat of Lunatic Daring, the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, eh, what's the word again, Muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. My name is Chad. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Jackson. Nick, what's the word on the street? Uh, New Year's, same me, uh, but I've been 40 <laughs> since I was 15, so that's that's basically just a, a sort of a go-to. You have been 40 since you were, I didn't know you when you were 15, but. Rumor has it that I'm consistent. <laughs> you are fairly consistent. I I will say this: if someone asked me how old you are, I could only give them a range. <laughs> I'll take that. How was your New Year? It was good. It was quiet. Uh, I didn't really. It. I mean, that was probably shortly before the rain started in San Francisco. But we've been getting hit. Yeah. How's the rain? It's making me weirdly nostalgic for the East Coast. Like we had a legitimate thunderstorm with hail. Uh, one of my coworkers got a shot of lightning striking the Trans America building. Oh wow! Just strange times. I know my friends in LA are drowning right now. Yeah, LA is not prepared for that kind of rain. Good times. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this is a feat of lunatic daring. We're a podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. Before we get started, we'd like you to check us out on social media at Lunatic Daring on Facebook and Instagram lunaticdaring.com where you can find all of our episodes our watch list and our bibliography we are currently going through the muppet show season five one two three four five two episodes at a time getting close to the end here of our muppet show run very exciting a mm-hmm. couple of good ones tonight yeah i like these a lot I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into these ones got a lot of animal oh yeah got a lot of gonzo what's not to like but yeah, let's get, let's, let's screw it. New year. Let's get started. Let's get started. It's the Muppet Show with our very special guest star, Carol Burnett. You know a lot about Carol Burnett. Next to nothing, but I feel like her name has been attached to a lot of her other guest stars. She's a, she's a television legend, I would say. Carol Creighton Burnett was born April 26, 1933 in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, but she was, when she was young, her parents split. And she ended up moving to Los Angeles to live with her grandmother. She attended Hollywood High School, the very famous Hollywood High School, and eventually studied theater and musical comedy and musical comedy at UCLA. Later, she performed in nightclubs in New York City and had a breakout success on Broadway in uh, 1959 with Once Upon a Mattress, for which she received her first Tony nomination. She soon made her television debut, regularly regularly appearing on the Gary Moore Show for the next three years and won her first Emmy Award in 1962. Burnett had her television special debut in 1963 when she starred as Calamity Jane in the CBS production of, well, Calamity Jane. Carol then moved back to L.A. and began her run on her most famous project, The Carol Burnett Show. It was a variety show that had comedy sketches and song and dance numbers. The sketches usually included film parodies and character pieces. She created many memorable characters during the show's run. Both her and the show run won numerous Emmys and Golden Globe Awards. The show went for 11 years, from 1967 to 1978. During and after her variety show, Burnett appeared in many television and film sh- film projects. Her film roles include The Front Page, The Four Seasons, Annie. Uh, she was in the musical Annie, 1962. 
1982, Noises Off, and then in the 2008 animated Horton Hears a Who. She has a diverse television background, having appeared in uh, other sketch shows. She won another Emmy for her role on the sitcom Mad About You in the, in the 1990s. She did several specials with Julie Andrews, Dolly Parton, Beverly Sills, and others. She returned to Broadway in 1995 for Moon Over Buffalo, for which she was again nominated for a Tony. 2022, she appeared in the Breaking Bad prequel series Better Call Saul in the AMC show's final few episodes. Burnett has written and narrated several memoirs, earning Grammy nominations for almost all of them, including a win for In Such Good Company, 11 Years of Laughter, Mayhem, and Fun in the Sandbox. In 2019, the Golden Globes named an award after her for career achievement in television, the Carol Burnett Award, and she was its first recipient. Uh, I thought this was funny. When Carol was young, she worked as an usher at the Warner Brothers Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. When they started, when they screened Alfred Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train in 1951, having already seen and enjoyed the film, she advised two patrons arriving during the last five minutes of the show to wait till the beginning of the next showing to avoid spoiling the ending for them. But the couple insisted on being seated. Her manager at the time observed Burnett not letting the couple in and fired her. Years later, when she was receiving her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, they asked her where she wanted it. Wanted it. She replied, right in front of where the old Warner Brothers Theater was at Hollywood and Wilcox, which is where it was placed at 6439 Hollywood Boulevard. She's been married three times, her last one going strong for 22 years now, and has three children. She's currently 89 years old. But uh, yeah, I, I when I sat down to write the bio and go through it, I remembered. I was like, oh yeah, she was on Better Call Saul, like in the in the final couple episodes. She played a really I still big haven't part. Seen Breaking Bad? I need you not to hate me. Oh, that's fine. I no longer hate anybody for things they haven't seen. Younger me would have. I still get a pass for the Wizard of Oz too, right? I don't even like the Wizard of Oz. Okay, cool. I'll take that. Yeah, it's 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 like a must see movie, but I I don't really like it. The Muppet Show. Episode number 515 with specially guest star, special guest star, special guest stap, Carol Burnett. Uh, produced June 23rd through 27th, 1980. Premiered in February 1981 in the UK, September 1980 in the US. Um, this episode won an Emmy in 1981 for outstanding writing in a musical variety or comedy program. I would say well-deserved because I like this one a lot. Uh, we have our cold open, Pops. Carol shows up to be the guest star. Pops informs her that tonight we're having a dance marathon. Have you ever been in a dance marathon? N- no. Yeah. Does this, It doesn't sound like fun at all. Um, I don't. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the Muppet Show is hosting a dance marathon tonight. And um, Carol doesn't seem too enthused about it. But we get our first whoosh <laughs> as Gonzo arrives. <laughs> a lot of whooshes in this episode. Um, and Gonzo arrives excited that we're getting another contestant uh, for the for the dance marathon. So we really don't have a backstage story. Our backstage story is 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 front and center this week. I, I mean, if there's any, it's probably just frustrating. Carol, we get our Muppet Show theme, and Gonzo's trumpet sounds like an air raid siren. Do you think that would have been frightening during the Cold War? Because it doesn't mean <laughs> as much to us now. But I imagine being a kid who's like still going through the duck and cover drills that might be upsetting. See, I grew up around that time, and while we were worried about that stuff, we didn't do duck and cover drills. Okay. In the early 80s, we weren't doing duck and cover. That was a 60s thing. So, Kermit comes out to introduce the show, and he reveals that uh, this whole dance marathon, whose idea was it? Gonzo's. Of course it was Gonzo's. 
So for those who don't know, a dance marathon is where you, you get a number on your back and you're a contestant and you dance and you dance and you dance and the last person standing is the victor. Basically, this, this episode is one giant at the dance sketch. Which is a ballsy choice. <laughs> it, Given it just is. how popular I'm sure those sketches have been. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they lean into it. They definitely lean into it. But so the dance marathon starts. And now the bad news. I let Gonzo talk me into doing a dance marathon. Yowser, yowser, yowser. <laughs> Get it, boys. Round and round the couples go until they drop it. That's the show. And yeah, it's just a bunch of people in a ballroom dancing. And yeah, it feels like at the dance. They're not playing the same music, at least not yet. Mm-hmm. But they they are. Um, but Kermit even comments on it that it's just like an at the dance spot. And then Gonzo says, yes, but it goes on forever. <laughs> Which, listen, I love the Muppet Show, but the idea of an at the dance that goes on forever is rough. I just, I wish Gonzo had had the opportunity to play off of Andy Kaufman. He would have loved Andy Kaufman. I'm sure he loves Andy Kaufman. Statler and Waldorf even get into the act. They 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 comment that uh, uh say Statler, what's the first prize? Three weeks away from the Muppet Show. So they immediately start dancing. My kids love that. For some reason, Statler and Waldorf dancing together made them laugh. I mean, we've seen Statler's legs, but I, have we ever seen like one of those house rest ankle bracelets around either? I just I wonder. <laughs> No one's forcing them to be there. Why do they need a vacation? That's the question with them. That's just a big question with them is why are they? I mean, they they even say that. Obviously, they're masochists. Obviously, they enjoy the torture Mm. or they wouldn't come every night. Like, why do they come every night? It doesn't make it doesn't. My my kids ask the same question. They they yell at the screen. They're like, then don't then go home. They don't understand if they hate the show so much. Why don't they go home? Because they feel something if they hate. I do like to think it's some sort of community service, but I can't figure out what kind of crime you would commit to get this as a community service thing. That sounds like the plot of like an 80s sitcom. Probably, but also I'm pretty sure at least one of them is a war criminal. So you might be onto something. So then the dancing is continuing backstage. Gonzo uh, addresses both Carol and Kermit because they're not, um, uh, they're not dancing. And uh, they both, and they both say, but we don't have partners. And Gonzo runs off to get to get her a partner while her and Kermit have a little exchange about how bad the show is. What's the line? Um, Kermit, I really don't want to hurt your feelings. Don't misunderstand me, but this is one of the three worst shows I've ever seen. What were the other two? There are no other two. I was just being kind. Here's your partner. Ah! What is it? Oh, well, that's Animal. Well, I, I knew it wasn't vegetable or mineral. Can you give me any other clues? The one, the only, Big Dipper, Mr. Animal. <laughs> I knew he wasn't vegetable or mineral. Carol is, of course, resistant to dance with Animal, as anyone would be, for their safety. Because you know you're going to get dipped. I miss that old whatnot, and I'm sure Animal does too. Yeah, I'm sure. Animal's girlfriend? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pour one out for Animal's girlfriend. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> There's so many terrible ways that could go. <laughs> So, uh, so, so Carol runs off and she's dancing with animal against her will and uh, Kermit doesn't have it. Now Kermit says something here. that's bullshit. Kermit says he never learned how to dance. We know he can dance. Canonically he can, but he's, this isn't the first time he's played dumb. What is, what is, what is that called when a man specifically men do this where they feign 
incompetence to get someone else to do it for them. I don't know if it's male specific, but there is such a thing as uh, weaponized incompetence or conversely. I've heard it also described as meticulous incompetence, but I don't listen incompetence. I don't think it's, it's gender specific though. Um, it's just, uh, and there's also malicious compliance, which is sort of an inversion of that where you do things just badly enough, right? That someone feels like they should do it themselves. That is kind of how I made it through elementary, middle and yeah. high school. <laughs> do what, just well enough for people not to expect more of you. And then, you know, you never let anybody down. Exactly. You're free to do what you want to do. They're free to think that, you know, there's more of an A-type personality that really, really wants this position and everybody wins. So Kermit doesn't have a partner, but uh, Gonzo volunteers and he even volunteers to take the lead, which is a cute moment. It's a cute moment where he tells Kermit uh, he really looks lovely tonight. Then a siren goes off. It's the same siren as the air raid siren. Um, it goes off and it, and, it and, and Gonzo declares a rest period. Kermit t- uses that as an opportunity to introduce Carol's number a song called watch what happens and it's kind of a ballad right mm-hmm. she starts she's on the set and she starts singing this ballad but then the dancing resumes and gets in her way and um she finally like in 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 so while she's trying to sing this ballad the dancers start dancing around her and she starts to lose her temper and lose her temper and it gets more and more aggravating she finally blows up at them and yells at everybody and then uh, Gonzo finishes all off by calling for a can-can, which you cannot sing to a can-can. You can try. cannot sing a ballad to a can-can. We got a cameo from, I don't know if the Muppet has a particular name, but the guy from Windmills of the Mind, which in something that is getting progressively more frantic, this is just a great, a great little throw-in. Well, she references Windmills of Your Mind. Mm-hmm. She actually says the words. If you think I have come here to be made a fool of by you nitwits, you have cobwebs in the windmills of your mind. Now just shut up. I wonder if there's, that's sort of like the uh, wondering what Purple Rain actually means, because the only two times you hear it referenced are in uh, the song Purple Rain and also Ventura Highway by America. (laughs) Okay. So I'm just wondering if there's like some sort of a greater context meaning to windmills of the mind. It's never mentioned in the movie. Purple Rain? Yeah. I don't, I don't, think, so. I don't think so. think so. So then Gonzo uh, changes up the song again. It seems like every 30 seconds he's changing up to a new song. And uh, he calls for the twist. And uh, Piggy comes down to try to get Kermit to dance with her. She's kind of cute in this too. She's doing, her, she's doing the twist. Mm. Kermit doesn't want to. And then he's reminded that his alternative is to dance with Gonzo. So he decides to dance with Piggy. But that doesn't last too long because Carol grabs Kermit, pulls him off stage, and starts screaming at him. <laughs> hey, hey, now, now, Carol, I, I realized that that first number was a little shaky. Shaky? Shaky? You call that number shaky? Variety shows. Where's all the songs? Where are all the dancing? Where's your partner? Ah, no, I know, I know. My one note for this shaking was, him to death because she goes like she's basically at eleven at this point. I'm like, part of me wants to see you dial it down, but also I'm wondering where this is going. Carol doesn't dial it down. <laughs> this is my first real exposure to her. I had no frame yeah. of reference. Yeah, she she is losing. She's losing her shit. She does not enjoy the dance. The dance, the, the dance uh, marathon ruined her number. She came here to do a nice 
variety show. She's wondering where the variety show is, you know, that she and Kermit keeps insisting. He's like, it's going to get better. Or it's going to be great. It's going to be great. But it never really gets there. I mean, she shakes Kermit. She shakes the shit out of Kermit. Mm. Then she apologizes to him for it. She's crying. It's really funny. But Kermit promises the rest of the show will be great. He knows better. And then and then uh, Animal comes and gets her, takes her back on stage. So then we have an actual at the dance, which we haven't seen in a while. And it, it's hard to imagine that and it's hard to differentiate it from the rest of the episode. But we really do have an at the dance because the music tells us so. And we also see the return of uh, Animal's favorite move. Yes. And so so while we're doing at the dance and we're doing our jokes, we get a cameo by Annie Sue Pig. Haven't seen her in a while. She's dancing with Link and um, everybody's kind of kind of doing their thing. And yes, an animal while they're doing they're doing a nice gentle foxtrot. An animal decides to um, give Carol his old his 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 go to move on the dance floor, which is a big giant dip, which sends them both crashing to the ground. But this is also like. I, d- I don't remember ever noticing that animals' arms were quite this long. They're pretty spindly. Just for the record, uh, the dip was a hit, big hit with the girls. Yeah. And me. Link Link does a very typical joke where Annie Sue asks him what the time is, and he lifts up his watch to look at it while he has like a cup in his hand. So he spills the cup all over the floor, and he calls for someone to mop up the spill. And we get Carol's janitor character, which is a character she would do on the Carol Burnett show. She had a bunch of different stock characters, and one of them was this janitor lady. And so Carol's kind of playing two parts in this episode. She's got this kind of off character that just shows up twice. The thing is, like, it, it seems kind of weird now, or it seems kind of out of nowhere now. If you were alive in 1981, and you were watching, and you, you, you were probably watching the Carol Burnett show, if you were watching the Carol Burnett show, then the the character would not be seem out of place at all. Because mm-hmm. I like I never really watched the Carol Burnett show, but I instantly recognized. I was like, oh, that's one of Carol's kind of go tos. Probably shown in a lot of advertisements. <laughs> I love the line. Gonzo says we're six grueling minutes into this marathon, <laughs> a whopping six. And um, it, Gonzo decides to move things at a faster tempo, and um, uh, and he go he goes on this rant, which I'll put in here. That's it! That's it! We're six grueling minutes into this marathon, and still these contestants can really tear things up. But how long can it last? The bone-deadening fatigue will soon start to take its toll. Soon every step will bring terrible agony. The muscles rebel. The mind goes numb. The hideous torture of never-ending pain and then uh, finally the first contestants collapse uh, on to Gonzo so we actually have our first uh, our first our first pair to check out of the dance marathon this was a 70s thing I remember this being a plot the dance marathon being a plot on like multiple sitcoms in like the 80s hmm. like the 70s and 80s backstage uh, Kermit is calling for scenery to go on set he's they're putting pigs in space on stage he promised Carol a variety show. And so he's calling for pigs in space. Gonzo doesn't necessarily agree with it because what about the dancing? But Link says that they've made a compromise. And so we get to pigs in space. And at first, all that we see on the set is, so the swine trek has, they've captured an alien life form, a mysterious alien creature. It is. And it's mean mama with like, looks like ping pong balls stuck on her. Did her eyes always move? I don't know. Probably. It's, it seems like they did. Maybe we just haven't seen her in a while, but 
It for whatever reason it caught me here. Piggy's trying to figure out what to do with this alien when Link and Strangeport come in dancing, and so they're going to keep up the dance, and um, and then Piggy gets eaten by the creature. But the but the the funny part about this is yeah, Piggy gets eaten. It's a funny joke or whatever. But then Gonzo comes in. He's like, "You're not dancing, Piggy. Why aren't you dancing?" And she's like, "I've been eaten. Why aren't you dancing?" And so she starts dancing inside of the Mean Mama. Poor Mean Mama. <laughs> Because you know that Piggy's always wearing heels. So like. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's That's got to hurt. Mm. That's just all down in your intestines. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 painful. I just love how much Gonzo there is in this one. There's a lot of Gonzo in this one. I don't know. It was a fine Pigs in Space. It was very brief. So then we have um, our UK spot. Not much to say about it. It's just a song called um, Poke Me Polka. They decided to do a. It's a, you know, we're still doing the dance contest and we're switching up to do a polka. Of all of the euphemisms. But uh, this is written by Ray Charles, not that Ray Charles. Uh, it's an original for the show. And the dancers just kind of beat each other up while singing the polka. this polka. Not much to it. I don't know. You have any opinions? I thought it was fine. Yeah. It, it is basically what it says on the tin. So, so speaking of insinuations, <laughs> we get our next bit where um, we're back in the dance marathon and Kermit and Piggy are dancing. I guess there is more Piggy. Kermit and Piggy are dancing, and, and P- Kermit's flippers are starting to get sore. And he's like, I can't think I can do this anymore. And Piggy's like, well, during the next stop, why don't you come up to my dressing room, and I'll loosen your collar and put you on the couch. And he's like, uh, did we come here to dance or talk? <laughs> oh, Piggy. No subtlety in that. Piggy. Horny, horny Piggy. Constantly. This one slipped past my kids, but I left. <laughs> why don't I, you can come up to my dressing room and loosen your collar? Get on the couch. He's like, ah, uh, nope, nope. I know where that's headed. I know where that's headed. And then, uh, and then there's a siren that goes off and Gonzo says, don't worry, it's not another rest period. It's our first ambulance. Someone's had a bad time. Kermit goes to Carol's dressing room and she's packing. She's done. She's had enough. She, uh, she didn't sign up for this clown show. And uh, Kermit's trying to convince her to stay. And she's like, no. And then they get into exchange about Julie Andrews when she was a guest star, which you don't you don't hear that often. You don't hear references to other guest stars very often. Well, gee, Carol, don't take it personally. I mean, things have happened to other guests before. Other guests? Other guests what? Julie Andrews? She must have gone on for days and days. She, she didn't sing that. She sang when you were a tadpole and I was a fish. Same thing. Although this isn't the first time we've heard Julie referenced. No, this is the, this is the second time we've heard Julie Andrews specifically referenced. And Kermit's like, okay, and she's and she's gone. Carol's Carol's done. She's like, you didn't do this to Julie Andrews. She's like, I'm I'm out of here. And Kermit's like, oh okay, but I really wanted you to do your lonely asparagus sketch. Now this comes out of nowhere. It's never mentioned before this. I wasn't sure if it was something that was like a reference to her show. I don't think so. No, no. It's just, uh, you know, it's just Kermit's way of um, getting her to, to stay is like, here's a sketch that she's wanted to do about a lonely asparagus, which sounds awful. And uh, he's like, well, if you stay, you can you can do the lonely asparagus sketch sketch. So one of the uh, uh, funnier sight gags in the episode, though, is she comes, she then changes into her asparagus costume, which is exactly what you think it is. Well, it's not, not exactly. It's, it's, she has arms and legs and stuff, but she just has she looks asparagus. a lot like the Jolly Green Giant. Yes, that's exactly what it is, a Jolly Green Giant. And uh, she comes out and Scooter mistakes her for a man. And she goes, I'll have you know I'm a lady. And then she kicks him. (laughs) So I would feel bad for Scooter because he hasn't been misbehaving that much lately. But we also know that there is still something that's very Machiavellian behind Scooter's eyes. And so I don't feel that bad when I see him get knocked out. 
I don't feel bad. I laugh my ass off because it's a funny shot. Mm-hmm. Because she kicks him and then it cuts to the inside of the theater backstage and he comes flying off the top row um, and just just ride dolls down into the state down into the um, backstage area. But uh, so Carol's decided she's going to stick around. She was done, but she's going to stick around so she can do her lonely asparagus sketch. <laughs> Scooter really goes flying, though. <laughs> he did. He really goes flying. Um, it was, uh, sort of like the Camilla flying in through the window during that Muppet Lab sketch. I can't remember what episode that was. It was so long ago. Who knows? <laughs> so Burnett's uh, janitor character gets a song. Um, she, she said she's from the Carol Burnett show. She sings a song called, but not for me. They're writing songs of love, but not for me. A lucky stars above, but not for me. Um, this is by George and Ira Gershwin song from uh, the musical Girl Crazy. This is the only straight number she gets. Something about the framing and the bonnet she's wearing makes it seem like she's a Civil War reenactor, and I couldn't put my finger on it. <laughs> she she does though. Like if you're going to some sort of weird, this is her, her antebellum costume. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, maybe like if you're going to visit Gettysburg or something like that and someone's doing a reenactment, she would be that person as a tour guide that's talking about how, you know, most people actually died of dysentery or something. <laughs> I didn't I didn't get Civil War reenactor, but I uh, see where you come from. <laughs> the number's fine. Like I said, it's the only time she gets, does just a straight song. Stage, Carol's like super psyched to do her asparagus number. Um, and she promises Carol, you can do that as soon as the number, the dance contest is over, as soon as the marathon is over. And she asks Gonzo, when's that going to be? He's like, as soon as everybody drops to the floor. And um, so Carol runs out on stage and she takes over the entire marathon and she sings a song called I was made for dancing, which is a leaf Garrett disco track from 1978. She starts singing it faster and faster and faster and faster and faster to try to get everyone to collapse. So and this is awesome. Yeah. If I'm being honest, I was kind of lukewarm on Carol up until this point. This won me over massively. There's like a little bit of Tim Curry in this. That's just, she's done. She does great. Tim Curry's a good, I don't know why, but that's a good pull. We also get a little bit of the baby bumpets, which is always disconcerting, but an animal's hysterical in this. Oh, I love animals so much. Cause he keeps, he keeps going by the camera. Eventually he passes out. Um, but the whole idea is she wants to get to her asparagus sketch so she rids them so she just keeps ramping up I was made for dancing were we wrong about disco is disco actually awesome I never had a problem with disco I I grew up listening to a lot of it 
I meant as a culture. Anyway, oh, that's a whole yeah. other story. I think we've reevaluating disco and like you're like, oh, there's a lot of good music that came out of disco. I mean, the the 90s club hits and uh, a lot of the electronica that came out of it was channeling into something similar. Um, so, yeah, this is really funny. She plays the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. She did amazing. This is this is a really good bit. And she really and she just drives all of them to the point of exhaustion until finally we get a winner for the dance marathon. We get winners. So Kermit comes to say goodbye and Carol shows up. She's still in her asparagus outfit and she's ready to do her asparagus number, whatever the hell that is. And Gonzo's here to announce the winners of the dance contest. But then Bunsen comes in and goes, I get the statue because they are robots. Which my <laughs> daughter yelled, immediately yelled, that's cheating. <laughs> it's true. My children were not happy with this outcome to the dance marathon. Oh, uh, Carol gets the moral victory. It's fun. And, and we get to reveal on the back of the dancers that they have little wind up keys on the back of them. They're 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 really old school robots, the automatons. And um, but but Gonzo does say that is cheating. Gonzo says that's about against the rules and that no one's going to get a prize, which upsets the mob who chase Gonzo off, which is fair. Like you should give it to the second place, which I think would be animal or Carol. But or Carol, she was still dancing at the end. Mm hmm. Carol now is ready to do her her lonely asparagus bit, but <laughs> but Kermit has to tell her that they're out of time. Uh, sorry, Carol, no asparagus bit. I don't know if he like that, that's a con job on Kermit's part, right? Kind of, but it just it doesn't stop there because you've got that post credit stinger where she's still getting ready to. And the, the first time still- ever, the first time ever, the post credit stinger is not Stadler and Waldorf. Yeah, the only time. Um, but they the orchestra end up, ends up playing over, and it's like that's. I kind of feel bad for her at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was a little lukewarm on her in first, but once we got to that bit where she's just running all of the, the dancers down, I was a hundred percent and just like, she's great. See, I liked her. I liked her a lot um, throughout, but, uh, but yeah, that last number is, is uh, pretty fantastic. But I don't know. What did you think of the conceit? This was one of those things that felt like it was sort of a time capsule for what would have been normal or commonplace back then. And I guess maybe the, I, I assume square dancing still happens, but formalized dance and exhaustive formalized dance doesn't feel like it still exists in that way. I'm not sure. I've never, I've never participated in a dance marathon. I've never had the opportunity to partic- participate in a dance marathon. I don't know anyone who's ever participated in a dance marathon, but for some reason on TV, everyone had dance marathons in the eighties. So it must have existed somewhere. Yeah. Someone got the idea somewhere because I have seen many shows, many sitcoms using the same idea. And um, I've just never witnessed it myself, but I'm sure it exists somewhere, existed somewhere. Do they still do it? Who the hell knows? It's a big world. (laughs) Maybe somewhere in the Midwest. I I don't know. It's a big world, man. Who the hell knows? There's still people doing swing nights, you know? That is true. That is still pretty popular. And that, and that, that to me is a nineties thing. Well, I know who Gladys Knight is, but why don't you tell me a little bit more about her? Gladys Knight born May 28th, 1944 in Atlanta, Georgia to Merrill Woodlow Knight Sr., who was a postal worker, and Sarah Knight, who I believe was a homemaker, but I have to double check that. She had an older sister named Brenda, and then two brothers named Merrill Jr. and David. 
Early on, she was singing in the church choir throughout the 40s and 50s. She won Ted Max The Original Amateur Hour when she was only eight years old. That same year, Gladys, her brother, Bubba, sister Brenda, and their cousins Eleanor and William Guest started performing together during birthday party when a record player started malfunctioning. That's where the Pips start. The Pips were a group, and it was largely a family group from the time that she was eight. The name was inspired by her cousin James Woods' nickname, which was Pip. The group became very active in talent shows uh, around Atlanta by 1955, and they were largely successful. Uh, They got a record contract with Brunswick Records in 1957. Keeping in mind that Gladys is 13 at this point, she's got her first record deal, or the group has their first record deal. They released two recordings with Brunswick, but neither one charted. They did get to open for acts like Jackie Wilson and Sam Cooke, though, which is mind-boggling to me, because, I mean, the Jacksons would come along and do something similar later, but the idea that, like, you're, you haven't even made it to middle school and you're opening for, for Sam Cooke is just kind of ridiculous. Unfortunately, they would be dropped from the label in 1959. The, the Their singles weren't performing well. Her older sister Brenda and her cousin Eleanor left to begin families. And then friends named Edward Patton and Langston George joined the group. The following year, the group moved to New York and auditioned for Fury Records. Around this time, they changed their name to Gladys Knight and the Pips rather than just being the Pips. That same year, they released two singles, one called Every Beat of My Heart and the other called A Letter Full of Tears, both of which charted. Here comes the mailman Walking up the street And it looks like he has A letter today for me Wait a minute, let me look inside No, it couldn't be from my guy Because he, he brought me The year after that, 1962, Langton would leave, uh, but Gladys left for a little while too. She wanted to start a family with Jimmy, uh, her husband, but Jimmy would struggle with addiction issues and end up abandoning the family, and Gladys would rejoin the group in 1964 in order to help support the family that she had started. In 1966, Gladys Knight and the Pips were signed to Motown Records, and this is where they start to really hit their stride. They had several major hits, uh, and... They actually released I Heard It Through the Grapevine before Marvin Versions or before Marvin Gaye's version came out. I think he recorded his first, but there's released a little bit earlier. And I I've only ever really associated that song with Marvin Gaye, although I know that the way that the songs were written back then it was probably passed around a little bit. The Gladys Knight and the Pips toured as an opening act for Diana Ross and the Supremes, but they got kicked off the tour because according to Knight's memoir, Uh, The audience reception to Gladys overshadowed Diana, which on one hand, if that's something that's coming out of her personal memoir, maybe that's true, maybe that isn't. On the other hand, I absolutely believe that Diana Ross would kick someone off tour for that. Gladys and the Pips left Motown for Buddha Records in 1973, at which point they won a Grammy for the song Midnight Train to Georgia, which is one of, to to date, that's probably one of the songs that's most strongly associated with them. He said he's going, he said he's going back to Going back to find ooh, 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 what's left of 
That year, she would also divorce James Newman and marry a man named Barry Hankerson. Uh, the following year, they recorded the soundtrack for the movie Claudine with Curtis Mayfield, which I haven't heard that soundtrack, but I now have to. That collaboration is probably incredible. 1975, Gladys Knight and the Pips had a variety show for all of four episodes because in the 70s, everyone had a variety show. She made her acting de- her professional acting debut in 1976 in a film called Pipe Dreams. The film itself was panned, but Gladys was nominated for a Golden Globe. Uh, 1978 saw a divorce from her second husband, Barry, including a very heated custody battle. During this time, uh, Gladys and the Pips were forced to record separately due to a couple of legal disputes, which created two solo recordings for Gladys, one of which was Miss Gladys Knight, released in 1978 on Buddha Records, and a second one that was just called Gladys Knight, released in 1979 by Columbia Records. Might have been confusing, but she was able to start recording the, with the Pips again in 1980 after signing to Columbia. This is around the same time that she's going to be on the Muppet Show, and at the same time, Gladys was struggling to kick a gambling addiction. She realized that she had a problem after losing sixty thousand in a single night at a baccarat table. She joined Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, random, random tidbit, which I never would have known if I hadn't looked into this. 1988. Gladys performs a rendition of America the Beautiful at WrestleMania 4 in Atlantic City, New Jersey, <laughs> which is Rocky Four levels of this is the 80s. Oh, yeah. yeah. And kind of amazing. I probably watched that, too. <laughs> what year was I, that? 1988. Oh, yeah. I totally watched that. That was right <laughs> in my wheelhouse for my very, very short wrestling uh, fandom when I was a kid. Absolutely. Uh, in 1989, Gladys Knight and the Pips are inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They also record the theme for License to Kill, which also adds her to that bingo sheet of Muppet Show guests who have recorded a Bond theme. Throughout the 80s and 90s, she guest started uh, in a lot of different TV shows, which would have included the Muppet Show, but also just all sorts of other things. I I won't go down that list because it's kind of long. 1995, she gets married again to the motivational speaker, Les Brown. They would divorce two years later in 1997. That same year, 1997, she is baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Didn't know that. Uh, 2001, she marries a man named William McDowell and creates the Saints Unified Voices, the Saints Unified Voices, which is the gospel choir for the Latter-day Saints. Stating Tell me the, she's a Mormon? She's Mormon and she conducts the gospel choir for the Mormon church. There are things that sort of run up against your expectations of how things are generally going to go. And sometimes that creates like a very vocal reaction. It's not meant to be disparaging. It's just surprising. Her, She's had a very, very eventful life. It's a good get for the Mormons. Yeah, very much so. Gladys would sing at the funeral service for Michael Jackson in 2009. 2012, she competed on Dancing with the Stars, and in 2019, she competed on The Masked Singer. She is still alive as of this recording. She is 78 years old. She's only 78. She has had a life. Well, it just seems young to me, but like 
but I, but you, you know, you pointed out how young she started off. Yeah. She start. she was doing stuff by the time she was eight. That's one of like those weird, weird cases of, I don't even know if you can say right place, right time, but there was a lot of talent in the family. There was a lot of cohesion with the family. She performed with her family for most of her life and they just, they ran with it. But the Muppet show episode five sixteen, featuring guest star Gladys Knight produced between July 3rd and July 7th of 1980. It would premiere in the UK December of that same year, and it would make it stateside May 2nd, 1981. On our cold open, Pops greets Gladys at reception, and... Oh, who are you? I'm the guest on The Muppet Show this week. I'm Gladys Knight. Oh, me too. I'm always glad it's night. It's too hot during the day. (laughs) Oh, I hope you didn't mind that. It's okay. I allow one per show. In a joke that I'm sure it took them all of 10 minutes to write, I'm mostly upset because that's a dad joke, if there's ever been a dad joke, but it also never occurred to me, and I've been listening to her music for my entire life. <laughs> and Gladys gives the the appropriate reaction, which is just that like slow eye roll. Uh, but she forgives him and says she allows one of those kinds of jokes per show. Above them on a ladder is a whatnot who's working, and he makes the same joke, at which point she uh, she violates OSHA regulations and... Sort of shakes him down, which to be fair, she did warn him. My wife wanted to point out um, she's rocking that Princess Di hair at least five or six years before Princess Di. Never would have made that association, but she's 100% right. We go to the Muppet Show theme and Gonzo gets like a just a successful trumpet blow out of the, the trumpet, which, you know, usually it's, it's going to be something very different. But he says that he gives out autographs after the show, which I would absolutely get an autograph from Gonzo the Great. We actually get our uh, backstage story on, on stage before we get into the Egyptian tomb. Yes, um, yes. Where Kermit apologizes for workers fixing a leaky roof, which is timely, as one of them pulls up or is pulled up to the ceiling by a rope. And he announces Gladys and he gets nearly hit by a bucket of nails. And the one note that I put in is just like, I know it's not actually going to happen, but if they heard Gladys Knight, we're going to have problems. I don't know how I'm going to get into a fight with a 1980s TV show, but I'll think about it. But we, we go to the whatnot archaeologists in the Egyptian tomb, and they're singing a song called Night and Day, which is a Cole Porter song from 1932. I'm personally mostly familiar with the Sergio Mendez version, but they're created by three sarcophagi uh, who joined them in the song. And then the caskets open, and then we get to see three mummies, one of whom is clearly Gonzo. Um, <laughs> my uh, my little one liked pointing that out. She was like, that's Gonzo. We are like, what was your first clue? <laughs> There's a, there's a principle in cartooning where a character needs to be able to be recognized by its silhouette, and Gonzo fits that to a T. Most of the Muppets <laughs> well, do, really, yeah. but yeah. It's, it's a fun bit. I liked it a lot. Gladys was upset about the puns in the opening, and here again is that they start with a number that has the word night in it. I didn't make that connection, and I'm kicking myself for it. They could have done it through the whole episode. That would have been the best. I don't. That's that's sort of a touch and go thing. If if it builds to like a satisfying conclusion of that, I could see that being okay. But I could also see, it sort of like the Ben Vereen constantly getting blown up by uh, by Crazy Harry. It, it just felt like it was a little too much. Yeah. No. This was nice. A little creepy. Yeah. But, uh, but it's. I thought, I thought the mummy, like when the when the when the sarcophagi open open up and the mummies come out, it's a little creepy. It reminded me of the. Uh, Janice getting ready to get sacrificed. It was a Beatles song, was it? Yeah, a little help with a little help from my friends. Yeah, yeah. It reminded me of that sketch a bit, but it was. I liked it. It was fun. We go backstage, and a, a worker, a whatnot worker, is approaching Kermit and holding a large plank of wood, and he says that that holds up the roof. Which, 
I mean, he said it very calmly. Like, yeah, we do this all the time. We just sort of take out support beams that nothing possibly could go wrong. The foreman ends up crashing into the floor, followed by debris from the building structure, which they're supposed to be repairing a leak. I don't know how they're screwing this up that badly. But the foreman was coming from high, super high. But he's okay. Well, yeah, (laughs) he's he just sort of ragdolls it a little bit. He's a puppet. He'll be fine. Great, great health insurance. Um, but from there we well, get he's to... he's probably in a union. It is the UK. Or Maybe this is filmed in the UK. Yeah, that's a good point. We go to Gladys's first number, which is a song called Friendship Train. It was a single for Gladys and the Pips from 1969. Uh, they're on a cardboard cutout of a train with three whatnot engineers, Slim Wilson, Fozzie, some penguins, some pigs, the Swedish chef, raccoon and gonzo and a couple of other whatnots but one of the things i want to draw attention to is all of those conductors who are just like pasted to the side of the train look yes. like they've been tied down like it, it looks vaguely like a hostage situation which <laughs> in tandem with the term friendship train makes it seem a little bit like a cult sort of situation or something they do look very bizarre <laughs> Like it's just because they're not. There's no facing forward. There's no facing the direction the train is going. It it very much looks like they're getting ready to be sacrificed or something. They do look under duress. Like everyone else is like in the train, all happy and stuff, and they're happy and dancing and singing. But like they the want way the they're positioned on the train is very suspect. Oh, very. Said the world today is in a desperate situation. Desperate situation. Stealing, burning, fighting, killing, nothing but corruption. It looks like mankind is on the eve of destruction. Oh, yes, it is. People, let me tell you that we, we got, got to learn to live with each other. But it's it's a fun number. It's a good the song. The song and could not be more on the nose. <laughs> yeah, but it is so it is so literal. <laughs> very much. Well, it's a very simplistic song. Um, and yeah. it, it's at that point, it's what a twelve-year-old song. So this is still relatively young. Gladys and the Pips writing, or whoever was writing for them. Yeah. Uh, that when this would have been released. Yeah, um, it's just very. I don't know. I just this song was just very literal. That's all. Well, I guess for the friendship train is a metaphor, I guess, but for the the conductors they're about to sacrifice, yes, uh, yes. great, great friendship. We go backstage again where a whatnot worker tells Kermit that he can fix the roof, but it has to go to the shop, which doesn't make a whole lot. I mean, Muppet logic, it makes sense. Maybe it's just like a single piece roof. Yeah. That's a good joke. Um, But a a crane comes in and just takes the roof, letting sunshine in. Um, the sunshine. Don't get that stuck in my head, Chad. Chad, don't do it. <laughs> Chad, we haven't talked in a little while. It's been like just don't don't get that song stuck in my head. Okay, uh, sorry. but 
Gratis comes out of her dressing room and says that she's heard that it's supposed to snow. Um, which it that brings up questions that I probably shouldn't be asking. But where is this construction crew getting its permits to just do these things? Like, I feel like this is probably supposed to be a more long drawn. Maybe it has been a long drawn out process, and this is the only night they could get them in. I do question why they couldn't come in at a better hour. <laughs> From there, we get our uh, veterinarian's hospital. So this is our big backstage bit, right? Is the theater doesn't have a roof. Yeah, and just the general construction thing. Like, we're trying to... You know what's going on is these guys aren't union. They're someone's cousin. They're someone's cousin who's, like, able to come in for an affordable rate. We can fix the problem. We can absolutely fix the problem. We don't need to go to school for that. But we, we get to our veterinarian's hospital, and the... The patient's a weatherman. The patient's a weatherman, but also... They don't have a roof. Now, we, we've seen the narrator, right? We've seen the narrator before. At this point, I'm assuming he's whatever that character is from Mario that's got, like, the camera on a fishing line. who's just constantly floating on that cloud. I'm forgetting. It looks like a turtle. I don't remember its name. Uh, it wears glasses. But Is it a Koopa? It might be, but it's not Koopa Koopa. Okay, that's like, all I know. You, 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 I'm at the end of my knowledge. King Koopa eventually becomes Bowser. Don't worry about it too much. Uh, I knew that. I knew that. Dr. Bob, Nurse Piggy, and Nurse Janice are attending to a weatherman uh, in an operating room without a roof, which raises all sort of hygiene questions. And where's the light hanging from? Uh, where's the light hanging from? I don't. That is a good question. There are so many questions. Bob figures it out. He points out that the that the um, that the announcer is probably on a cloud. Yeah. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. That's at least an answer. It may yeah. not be a plausible answer, but, but Nick, it's at least an answer. And we'll take what we can get. But there's no explanation. I mean, you, you're not, you're, that light's not tethered into a cloud, I don't think. There's no explanation as to how that light is hanging there. I just want to find out that there's a boom operator that's specifically there to hold the light. Could be someone hanging it like a, like a, like a, um, like a boom. Yeah, it's possible. I retract my outrage. One of the jokes is causes a, a lightning strike to come in and Rolf or excuse me, Dr. Bob says that I didn't think it was that bad, but the weatherman is singing songs from or singing lines from songs like stormy weather or raindrops keep falling on my head or, and hell hail the gang's all here. I do want to draw attention to the fact that at some point, Dr. Bob absolutely hits the patient. Does he? <laughs> I put the note in, so it must be the case, but I'm like, he hit, he hit the patient. Is it, when he's in view of anyone who could be seeing them from outside of that roof, it's just, it's a choice. Also, Janet had a great line about taking angry calls from the medical association. Yeah. <laughs> or excuse me, Janice had a great line about taking angry calls from the medical association, but this is, it's a fun one. Um, yeah, it, is. it was pretty short. We moved from that to our UK spot, which features a very, for lack of a better term, Scottish looking caveman backed up by prehistoric pigs singing a song called alley -oop. Um, like full, full red beard, red beard and bald. Yes. But they sing a song called Alley Oop, which was a number one pop hit for a group. One might called, call it a neck beard. He has a prehistoric neck beard. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, no fedora though. It's okay. The, <laughs> the song Alley Oop was by the Hollywood Argyles. It was originally released in 1960, but the thing is animals in the scene and stealing every second of it. Because animals been given permission to swing a club at things, which, if it's not drums, it probably has a pulse. Yeah, and he's all out of drums. All out of drums. 
An animal chases around a bear and Butch as the Scottish neckbeard prehistoric caveman sings through the song. But at the end of the sketch, Animal is just abducted by a brontosaurus. Yep. I don't know what it's planning to do with him. I'm pretty sure those were herbivores, but I could be wrong. They were. Actually, brontosaurus didn't exist. Oh, that's true. The land, the land before time was a lie. All, all, all the dinosaurs we grew up like with, they don't actually exist anymore. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that. Yeah, it's really strange. My inner three-year-old like, is very upset. Because we all know that when we were a kid, there was, there was, a, there was a fucking brontosaurus, right? But uh, not anymore. I don't even know what they're called anymore. And I loved, I was a dinosaur kid. Now I don't yeah. know what any of them are called. Raptors also apparently weren't as big as Jurassic Park made them seem. Well, yeah. And they probably weren't able to open doors. I mean, there weren't any doors to open. We don't know that that That's was. True. Or was. <laughs> That's true. There weren't any doors to open. Like maybe they had the we manual no dexterity and just nothing to use it on. You're right. We, we have no idea. <laughs> they never got a chance. Just born a little too soon. Yeah. Uh, but we go to million years. the stage and we have Rolf and Gladys chatting about Fat Mama Jefferson, who was Rolf's favorite blues singer and also a basset hound. But Fat Mama Jefferson sang a song called I Won't Hang My Head in Shame Because I Step on My Ears When I Do. Which I just, it's such a stupid joke, but I loved it so much. Gladys brings up Ma Rainey and Diana Washington and Billie Holiday. At which point, Rolf responds by starting to play God Bless the Child, uh, which was a Billie Holiday song from 1939. I remember it all right. Them that's got shall get. Them that's not shall lose. Though the Bible says, and it still is news, Mama may have, Papa may have, but God bless the child that's got his own, that's got his own. Gladys sings the song, and in a move from a lot of those early, like, season one episodes, they're joined on stage by Fozzie and Lou Zealand and Annie Sue and Pops and Bo and, oh, we do see Bo this episode, uh, Janice and Scooter. Um, and I just, the only note that I add for this section is that I really do love her voice. It's just, it's a nice, solid beat. To have the confidence to sing something that Billie Holiday was known for and to do a solid job, like... We're, we're sort of understating it, but it is really impressive. The only thing I was wondering is why she have like an American flag behind her. Not an American flag, but like blue with like white stars. It's very patriotic looking. That is a good question, especially given this was shot in England. I feel like that was probably a deliberate choice. I'm just not sure why. Yeah, and I wrote down season one. Like someone's thing. I mean, they've done it since, but very season one. And, and they, they have the thing where like she's singing and then they gradually bring them in. Mm-hmm. One at a time, two at a time, until they're all kind of filling up the frame. Like they're like they're drawn. They, you know, they do that thing where it's like they're the Muppets are like drawn into the music. Mm-hmm. Almost is what it feels like. Yeah, but it's it's a nice number. Um, I probably have literally just been, or I have probably literally at some point spent an entire day listening to Gladys Knight, and that's still the case now. I could absolutely do that. 
We go backstage again where fog is starting to roll in, which causes Kermit to play Scooter in charge, which usually I would say is a bad decision, but he's done it enough at this point that maybe Scooter's got an idea. Scooter's turned into a good number two. <laughs> Slowly but surely. But Fozzie doesn't get to do his monologue because there's no time. And Senor Buffy, whoever was, that is, <laughs> yeah, his assistant didn't show up. And so Fozzie was assigned to stand in, at which point stand we, in for what? Well, hopefully he'll be able to stand very still. Shortly after that, we meet Senor Buffy and it turns out he doesn't really have a problem with the fog because he's a knife thrower and it's a blind knife throwing act during which he aims by the sound of his target's voice which has the potential to get very, very dark, but somehow it being fuzzy makes it like less likely just because he's definitely survived these scrapes before. I think the only other person that wouldn't concern me with this would probably be Gonzo and he might enjoy it a little too much. You can't have Gonzo in this sketch. Oh no. One professional jealousy. Two, he might try to get hit on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Three, he would enjoy it too much. It would get very bloody and it's not what you want for a family show. Gonzo would enjoy this way too much, but also he would just be incredibly jealous. It's true. But he, why didn't I think of getting, why didn't I think of putting on a blindfold and throwing knives at Fozzie? Oh, poor Fozzie. He's going to have like, don't give Gonzo the idea. That's the big thing. It's kind of, he's always going to find ideas though. Some of them are going to be better than others, but at some point Fozzie is going to get hurt. At some point, everyone on the Muppet show is going to get hurt because of one of Gonzo's ideas. Fozzie starts to panic because, well, he probably wasn't properly, informed that knives would be flying at him across the stage. And one of the knives actually reaches Statler and Waldorf's box, at which point Kermit decides that it's time to cancel the number. And in a weird, weird sort of sense of serendipity, Bo replying to him lures a knife and then that cuts the rope and drops the curtain. Well, it's a funny scene though, right? Because whenever anybody says something, a knife comes flying at him. But no one can think to keep quiet. I think the only thing we were missing was Miss Piggy coming in and like making demands. Uh, but, but you can't have Piggy there either because she'd just catch it midair and swing it back at you. She might, especially with those weird eyes that she had in the Muppet movie. Yeah, I'm just saying like, no, Gonzo can't be there. Piggy can't be there. I think they get the, they made me the right call with the cast here. Uh, um, another bit about this particular sketch, though. So while we stated that this was not the final episode that was recorded for the Muppet show. This sketch was the final sketch that was recorded for the Muppet show. Yep. And it would be retroactively applied, which might apply. It might explain why we didn't get as much of a buildup for it, but we get to our closing number where, as we mentioned during the bio Gladys's version or Gladys and the Pips version of, I heard it through the grapevine was released before Marvin Gaye's. I don't think I'd actually really heard her version of this before watching the Muppet show. With some other girl you knew before Between the two of us girls You know I loved you more It took me by surprise I must say When I found out yesterday You know that I heard it through the grapevine I heard it through the grapevine Not much longer would you be mine It took me a good 35, 45 seconds to recognize the song. Hmm. I hadn't looked ahead of time. But the... Uh, it took me a minute to recognize the song. That, that's how familiar I am with Marvin Gaye's and not hers. 
well, there's nothing against Gladys or Voice or this version of it. It's it's still lovely, but that is one of the songs in Marvin's repertoire that showed off his singing ability so well. There's a, I think on YouTube you can find a version of it that strips away all of the instrumentation so it's just his voice, and it's incredible. But in in this particular uh, scene, there are a number of Muppet grapes on a vine, and then we've got Zoot in with a sax. In a sharp suit. Sharp, sharp suit. Um, and because they've already taken the roof off, um, it starts snowing a lot. She did say it was calling for snow. She warned him. Yep. But she doesn't, like, her dress has no shoulders. She's probably freezing. It does look cold. All in all, she made it through the show without injury, which is good. Um, and after the number, they've found a, a nice, like, thick fur coat for Gladys. Um, and it kind of, it reminded me of the end of Scrooged, where, like, Bill Murray is just monologuing and probably pissing off whoever's behind the camera. But just, like, all of the snow coming in, and it it's not a Christmas episode, but it does feel very wintry. But I liked it. I, I have a, a pretty hard bias leaning in because I love Gladys Knight, but I thought this was a solid episode. I don't have as much of an association with her, I guess can't say that I've listened to a lot of the pips growing up but um yeah she was great she was great I I, I was glad to hear that her version of I heard it through the grapevine like I said the, the Marvin Gaye one's just so iconic that it's not gonna it's not that it's not gonna live up it just it sounds weird it just sounds it's weird. it's different it's very different not that I haven't heard other covers of it I totally have but most of the other ones are riffing on the Marvin Gaye one, and this is this does feel distinct from that. Yeah. yeah. It's more upbeat. But, um, yeah, no, she was great. Next time, Open Sesame. So next up, we got episode 517 with actor Hal Linden, and then 518 with funny man Marty Farty... With funny man and Mel Brooks regular, Marty Feldman. But until then, uh, I've been Chad. I've been Nick. Oh, check us out on social media. And uh, hey, give us a um, give us a review. Really help out a lot. You know, reviews equal. Reviews help the algorithm or what. I don't know how it works. But, you know, review would be nice. Anyway, I've been Chad. I've been Nick. Uh, thank you for listening. Feet of Lunatic Daring is written and produced by Chad J. Shonk and hosted by Chad J. Shonk and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Podolitz. And a proud production of Antithesis Audio. Uh, we'll get pneumonia. Big deal. This show always makes us sick. 